Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Collegiately speaking. Walks into the end zone. Touches to the end zone. This is Collegiately Speaking. With the voice of Northwestern football and basketball, Dave Enning, and former Northwestern star quarterback, Dan Persis, it's Collegially Speaking. Let's go. And welcome to another season of Collegiately Speaking, our weekly look at what's happening around college football, focusing on the Northwestern Wildcats and the Big Ten and some of the major topics around the sport from your home for Northwestern, WGN Radio. I'm Dave Ennett, pleased to be joined once again this season by former Wildcat quarterback Dan Person. Number seven, good to be with you. You're looking well. Always good to be back. It's fall again. Can, can you believe it? Another season is upon us, but uh, it, it's been a, a season, a, a summer, uh, unlike anything I think either of us has ever been through, Dan. And it's, it's in some ways, it was odd to be back in the booth on Sunday at Rutgers and, and actually seeing a game because it seems like uh, there's there's been little talk about uh, what would happen on the field. And we finally saw it on Sunday with Northwestern losing to Rutgers 24-7. to And I've always loved hearing coaches say you make your biggest advancement from week one to week two. We're going to find out if that's the case this week because they played their first home game against UTEP, which is coming off a win. But uh, still, it's, it, it was a little surprising um, that, that they – weren't able to get more going offensively. Now, you've had a chance a little bit to watch uh, Ben Bryant, who started at quarterback the other day. It was a small sample size, I'm sure, that you've been able to watch. But what are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts is he's a very, very talented thrower. He's obviously very experienced, um, given his, his time at Cincinnati, and he played in a lot of games. I think he, he sh- flashed great signs of arm strength and, and accuracy in that first drive, but it was kind of cut short pretty quickly. Um, and then, you know, after that, he just really struggled to, to get comfortable in the pocket. And, and that's probably more so because the offensive line struggled a little bit and, and Rutgers was, was able to get a lot of pressure. I think, I think the thing that I was a little frustrated with was just, just not having the ability to, to get the run game going initially. Um, mm-hmm. and then kind of abandoning it, uh, full force throughout the game. It, it really put a lot of pressure on Ben. And then all of a sudden you're down. 20 or 17 21 nothing and and you have to throw and then those guys are pinning their ears back um but i i still think you got to stay balanced on offense um and coach jake has to do a better job with that there uh, certainly seem to be some weapons in the skill positions on this team uh certainly aj henning you saw it on that second play of the game offensively for northwestern he made that great catch in traffic uh, cam porter we've seen him before never really got going in the running game on Sunday. So those are things we'll keep an eye on. I want to bring in my partner on Northwestern football here on WGN Radio, Ted Albrecht, who's been at it for a while watching this team. Uh, Ted's now in his 30th season alongside me in the booth. And uh, we've seen we've seen some better games than we saw on Sunday, Ted, I have to say. Yes, we have. And uh, I, I just heard a little bit what Dan said and 
I think the two glaring negatives uh, right off the bat were those two significant opening drives. It kind of set the tone. It took literally one quarter of play. If you add them both up, it's just south of 15 minutes. Just could not get off the field defensively. And right away, like Danny just said, it really puts you behind that eight ball because now you you don't want to start throwing the ball, but the the, the you kind of start to, and and then you really get into trouble. But the second glaringest point again was the fact only twelve total yards rushing, and when you actually see that stat on paper, it really is demoralizing. I mean, you know, until you see it on paper in front of you and you're staring at it, it just magnifies that is a really big problem. And that has to be fixed, you know, immediately. I was at practice yesterday. I did talk to a few players about that. Um, You know, the other thing that I saw in the game is that there were some players that were unblocked from Rutgers in that run game. Two plays uh, that I remember um, significantly. So, I think if you don't run the football game, you can't control the clock, you don't keep the ball out of your um, opponent's hands, and you can't close games. If you can't run the football in the Big Ten particularly, how can you close a game down when you've got a seven or you know nine or ten-point lead if you can't run the ball? So I think those are two, two glaring problems there. You know, everybody always talks about the fact that you need to be able to run the ball in the Big Ten in November, but you got to be able to run it in September also when it's 90 degrees and and your your defense is on the field for 16 plays, whether, whether you want to point a finger at them or not for not getting off the field. The fact is they still need a chance to recover, and they had two 16-play drives, and uh, you, you just don't hang on to the ball and you put that defense right back on the field in those kind of conditions. And, and Ted, as you pointed out on the broadcast, uh, we saw that at Duke a few years ago, very similar situation where the defense couldn't get off the field in the first quarter, and by the fourth quarter they were gassed. Yeah, they put together an 18-play drive right at the end of the half, uh, of the first half, and that just that, that just killed us. In fact, Timmy McGargle, the uh, linebackers coach, and I were talking about that, you know, during the week prior to going to Rutgers. And he goes, you know, that's why we need this heat. That's why we need these conditions so we can be prepared for that. But, but you know, the, the, the only way that we were able to move the ball, if you really examine it, was late in the game in the fourth quarter. And I, I think I mentioned this during the broadcast, is that the, now Rutgers was getting tired. You know, and I mean, it's only, it, it's going to happen eventually. Both teams are going to be pretty exhausted. And that's why we're able to move the, the ball a little bit in the second half. I, I do like one stat. That's one stat that I like. And that okay, is please. That yeah, tell us. Okay. <laughs> it's not that we gave up five sacks, but I do have this. We only allowed 285 yards of total offense. That puts the Cats defensively right flat in the middle at rate rated seventh in the big 10. Now I know it's only one game and I know it's Rutgers and they had similar record to us a year ago with one eight in the conference. But if you, you know, last year, you know, we were close to 400 in total offense. I think we're 380 something. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I'm just saying if we can, if we can improve on that and keep, you know, 
you know, keep that total offensive number down for our opponents, that gives us a chance. Um, but I, I want to say to Danny, you know, Dan, I thought two things happened in pass protection. Yes, I think we were, like, the pocket was disrupted more than it should have been. But I think in that second quarter, we might have been holding the ball a little bit more than we should in the quarterback position. Your thoughts? I agree. And I think Coach Jake has to do a better job of moving the pocket, right? You know, Ben Bryan isn't the most athletic guy, but he can run, you know, similar to like a Trevor Simeon, get out of the pocket and make some plays with his feet. But I think you just, you can't, you can't run, run pass. You, you got to mix it up, get the ball of his hands, whether it's screens or, or, you know, quick bubble plays or quick game. Just get them in, in a rhythm where you're getting easy completions, taking some pressure off the O line. Quick game is a lot easier, right? And then, you know, on third and long, you can, you can sit back and hold the ball. But yeah, I think it just became problematic when you're a sitting duck back there knowing they have to throw on, you know, third and seven plus. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a challenge. Yeah. Ted, let me, ask, yeah, let me ask you this. Yes, as far as the development of the offensive line, obviously you, you lost some guys off that offensive line, uh, and, and notably one of them uh, playing on Sundays now as a first-round pick in the National Football League with Tennessee. Uh, I think this, it's a line that people have become accustomed to, to certainly hoping that they'll develop quickly because they've developed guys on a pretty regular basis here. But how much of an adjustment is there the first time some of these guys are out there playing with uh, with everything on the line when they haven't really had the opportunity except maybe at the end of games or, or spot duty here and there? Well, Dave, if I look at the roster, there's, a, there's really a lot of senior players on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if they're redshirt seniors or not, but I see a lot of senior, uh, you know, guys up front. Now, it's different when you start as a true freshman, which I never did. I started as a true sophomore, but never as a true freshman. I, I think your hair's on fire at that point. But when you're in your senior um, college level at that point, you, you, you might be a little hyperventilating maybe prior to the kickoff or going out for that, you know, that first series. But after that, I think you just totally relax. And I, I can't, uh, I just can't see how these guys didn't produce more than 12 yards on the ground. I mean, that is really uh, mind boggling to me. I mean, that, that is a, that, that's a serious issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't, Ted, I don't really think they had a chance, right? I don't think the, the offensive play calling ever really gave them a chance. Um, and, and, you know, when they were running the ball, there was no motion, there was no jet sweeps, there was no nothing to stretch defense horizontally to, to open up some holes. So I, I just think Coach Jake has, has to pick it up a little bit on that front and, and just make it easier on the guys so they're not sitting ducks, whether they're throwing or pass or throwing or running. I'm all for that. And, you know, I see a lot of this stuff in practice, and um, I just, I don't know what happened. They got down 16, they got down 14 so quick, you know, maybe someone panicked. I, I don't know, but right. um, it's, 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 it's a problem. All right, Ted, give us one, uh, one just morsel that can uh, generate some hope here going into UTEP yes. at home on Saturday. How about it? I have one. Okay, have one, good. Thank you. Okay, you ready? Yep. Here we go. We only committed three penalties. Three penalties? Yes, we only committed three penalties. Last we averaged four a game. Now we're 
only averaging three. UTEP lost to Jacksonville State. So I'm saying there is, there is positives. We only have three penalties, David. <laughs> okay, that's a start. That's a start. Uh, well, we know that, that every team, always the biggest improvement is between game and one and game two. I was just saying so that I, to Dan. I, <laughs> I, I expect I expect uh, there's going to be improvement. And, you know, obviously UTEP is a lesser opponent than Rutgers, so I hope that we take advantage of that, kind of build our confidence. I'm a big believer you can't have confidence unless you feel or sense some success. If if you're striking out and you can't get the bat on the ball, how do you feel like you're going to be able to hit a single in a clutch situation? You've got to get some hits. You've got to get some some things that build your confidence. And so this would be a good game to build your confidence with some success. And um, and that's that's where I'm that's where I'm going, Dave. That's it. I think that's a good note on which to end. Teddy, thank you. Okay, thank you so much for having me on. And we'll see you on Saturday. That's Ted Albrecht. You hear him game days on WGN Radio. And 30 years, he and I have worked together in the booth. How about Still that? young. Still young. <laughs> Still youthful, right? Well, again, this will be an interesting game on, on Saturday. And I think Ted used the term lesser opponent. But I think if you look at Northwestern over the course of the past year, they really can't afford to look at anybody as a lesser opponent. Um, because they had some games last year, which I think everybody thought they were going to win. And ended up taking losses in those. Yeah, and I, I agree with Ted. I think at the end of the day, the, the defense you know, shows some signs of life. It just seemed like they couldn't get off the field, couldn't make a play. And you know, I, I don't think they really gave up any explosion plays at the end right. of the day. They so didn't. they kept everything in front of them. And I think, I think that's what Coach Braun was, was trying to implement, more of a Coach Hank type of defense. Keep everything in front of you, make somebody drive 16 plays knowing that either they're going to make a mistake or we're going to make a play. You know, and neither I, of those things really happened. I think if you uh, yeah, I mean I think if you go back and look at that first drive too by Rutgers, uh there wasn't third down wasn't really the problem. The problem was, I mean Greg Schiano, he's kind of coaching to, for his program, right? Absolutely. And so they're going for it on fourth down and they converted three fourth downs and they also let's face it, I mean they hit a a, a pass play it was it was a tremendous it's a catch, it's a great, great throw. throw, great catch, but it still took uh, a number of looks at the replay to call it a touchdown. So anyway, that's the margin for error is small. Let's face it. And uh, here's a guy who who I saw in New Jersey on sa- on Sunday. I think it was Sunday, and he had been in Texas on Saturday night. Uh, he's everywhere. He's the uh, senior college football writer for ESPN. Uh, our friend Adam Rittenberg is with us now. And uh, do you have jet lag? Are you uh, you kind of tired now, Adam? It wasn't too bad, honestly. It was one of those weekends where you dreaded having travel issues. And for some reason, the, the travel guys smiled on me. Every, every flight was early. Uh, didn't have any scrambles at the airport. Made it back, actually, earlier than I thought on Sunday night. Got to see the end of the LSU Florida State game. So uh, overall, um, uh, certainly a better weekend than the Cats had. Well, yeah, and you got to see it firsthand. Uh, just, just your thoughts. What's your takeaway from what you saw in Piscataway on Sunday? 
Well, I, I think that the problems that we have really seen for the last few years um, have been amplified. And, you know, while you could probably attribute some of it to what went on this summer and, uh, you know, everything that went on for, from a um, kind of away from the field standpoint, you know, there's still a lot of problems with this roster and overall with the philosophy. And, you know, I'm curious if you guys have talked about this, especially Dan, like what is Northwestern's offensive philosophy right now? I, I, I can't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what they do well or what they're trying to do. And I, I've struggled with that for a few years. And while I think that they can make some improvements, certainly from that first performance, and there were some encouraging signs, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, it has been a long time now that this offense has been one of the least productive in college football. And unfortunately, it appears to be in that same boat again this season. And that's what's been really, and we did talk about that before you came on, Adam. That's been the most frustrating thing, right? Before, you know, for a long time when I was playing or before that or a little bit after that, you know, we always had an identity, whether it was throwing the ball or, or you know, ball control or taking care of the ball. Um, I just, to your point, I, I can't find find out what they're trying to do so you, you know you come out in the first drive guns blazing throw nonstop, and then you're, you're quickly down 14 nothing and then you know you abandon the run after you know being down 14 nothing which really isn't that much at the end of the day in the first half so i just i just agree with you it's been all over the place it's been really as an offensive guy very frustrating to watch frankly um because i think there's so much more you can do uh to help these guys out that's not being done to develop an identity yeah, and, and I think that that's what needs to be refined here uh, in a hurry um, to, 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 to figure out, you know, wh- where are our strengths as a, an offense? Um, who, who, who needs to be put in, in positions to succeed? What are the weaknesses? How do you work around those? But, yeah, you're right, Dan. When you play, I mean, you were part of the, a run of, of very good quarterbacks uh, at a time when Northwestern was really a fun offense to watch. And you know, I don't know what happened. But, it, you know, to, to make it change, but it really happened a while ago, if you think about it. It happened when the program was winning, and that was something I thought about a lot since the game on, on Sunday, is that you can certainly attribute, you know, it's been bad since, since the end of the 2020 season, but the offense has really been um, not great from, from, for a while, you know, going beyond that, when Northwestern was winning at a high level. And so I don't know what changed philosophically or maybe it was just um, a run of, of recruiting misses. I mean, it's probably a layered uh, explanation. But, you know, from really about 2015, 2016 on, Northwestern hasn't been a great offense. And it was a very solid offense in times, a very exciting offense before that. So I think you're now seeing, you know, you know kind of the, the result of, of a lot of years of, of production that, that wasn't great on that side of the ball. Adam, I want to get a some bigger picture thoughts from you and and kind of continuing on this theme because as I watched a lot of games over the weekend and I, I watched as many of them as I could, uh, there were some pretty impressive performances nationally and within the Big Ten. But there were also some in the conference that against some of Northwestern's division rivals for one more year uh, that, that kind of left me thinking – you know what? That's okay, but that's not kind of not what I expected from that team. Did you kind of look at some of these games over the weekend and think that I expected more from this team or that team, and and especially a few of the teams in the Big Ten West? 
Right. Yeah, I think you know you, you could certainly look at the first game that took place, uh, Nebraska Minnesota, and it was a real struggle for both offenses to you know score points. And Minnesota very very fortunate to win that game. They they didn't play well offensively. Uh, they didn't have a, a lot of big plays, and, and maybe that can still evolve. I think they have some talent on that side of the ball. You know, new quarterback uh, who, who's played a bit. Um, in Cali McManus. Um, and, and then obviously Brevin Spanford is a really impressive tight end. Chris Ottman Bell didn't play. And you know, maybe he, when he gets back, they'll be a little more dynamic. But I thought they would be. Um, you know, I, I knew Nebraska just because of, of seeing Jeff Sims that he, you know, he, he's somewhat of a one dimensional quarterback and much better as a runner than a passer and certainly has to be better going forward, especially this week now when they go out to Colorado, given what Colorado did in their opener. Um, and, you know, I, I think Wisconsin was fine. Iowa was fine. You know, Iowa, uh, there's going to be so much attention on, you know, their points total and, and everything with Brian Ferentz. But I thought overall, especially with a quarterback who had missed most of the spring, or sorry, most of the preseason with an injury, um, and, and had missed part of the spring as well from a diff- with a different injury in Cade McNamara, I thought that was a serviceable first performance for the Hawkeyes. We'll see how they do this week going out to Ames to face their in-state rival Iowa State, but um, yeah, I think it, you know it's a division that uh, you know maybe does not have a dominant team uh, nationally, but still has a lot of really good defenses. And then Wisconsin, to me, is the most intriguing because they've had such a transformation um, from a scheme standpoint on offense, and we got to see a little bit of that against Buffalo. You know, they're going to have to be even better, most likely uh, this week against Washington State, a team that. That, that shocked them last year in Madison. You mentioned Colorado, and of course they've been the talk of college football this week, along with Duke. By the way, the team Northwestern is going to see in two weeks. But uh, is is every athletic director in the country who needs a head coach? And I guess you could throw Northwestern into the mix here because we don't know who's going to be coaching this team in twenty twenty four. Is everyone going to go to? try to take Colorado's blueprint here and go out and find the next coach prime if the next coach prime even exists. Right, David. I think that second part is the, is the relevant. Uh, I, I think, I think there's certainly a lot of tremendous players, um, some of whom have entered coaching, but I just don't think there's very many hall of famers that have Dion's personality and charisma and willingness to do this. I, I think he's just one of one in terms of who he is and how he operates. And so I think replicating him is going to be very difficult. I think replicating some of the things he did to overhaul the roster um, it, it, you know, are, are things that absolutely could be copied by, by the, the next crop of head coaches. I think you're seeing the, the programs that um, you know, handle the portal well and, and, and make upgrades. Florida State is really at the top of that list. Michigan, I think, has been very smart in how it's used the portal. You know, they, 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 they can get better. Um, and those who, who maybe are, are unable to or unwilling to go into that uh, uh, space are, having a, uh, are really struggling in 2023. So I, I would say this, though, in relation to Northwestern. Um, you know, Sean Lewis is the offensive coordinator at Colorado, and he was the, the formerly the head coach at Kent State, and he runs an incredibly exciting a dynamic offense, which I think is really going to be important for Northwestern for whoever they hire as the next uh, head coach in 2024. Also a Chicago guy, played at Wisconsin. I think Sean Lewis absolutely should be someone on the list for, for Derek Gragg and the others making the decision at Northwestern. 
Yeah, and I'm digging into that a little bit more. Um, you know, this season, by the looks of it, might be a little bit tough for Northwestern. And assuming that's the case, it's probably a lame duck uh, coaching staff. Give us a picture of what what the the job looks like for Northwestern. Who who would be potential candidates? I mean, Sean Lewis would be amazing. I, I haven't even I hadn't even thought about him. Um, but just just the overall profile of who would be interested in this job. You know, is it's still a marquee job in in one of the top two conferences? So maybe a little bit more color on that. Right. Yeah, I think it's going to be um, a job that you're going to have to ask a lot of questions on the front end, Dan. If you're a coach or a, a coaching agent. Um, to you know, who's advising these guys? Uh, you know, who, who, wh- what are they stepping into exactly? Um, roster wise, uh, you know, facilities wise, maybe to a much lesser degree because Northwestern's in a much better place with facilities. But you know, the questions about Ryan Field are, are going to be important. You know, who, who, who is really in charge at Northwestern? Um, because there's been a lot of scrutiny, as you guys know, on on Derek Gregg and, and President Michael Schill. So, what type of administrative support? is that person going to get, you know, money is not the problem. That That's the one thing Northwestern has and will continue to have in droves because it's a member of the big 10. Um, so from a resources standpoint, if you're a, a coach that's at a group of five program or at a, a lower resource power five, I, I think it's a job that, that has some real appeal. I, I do think it's important that whoever Northwestern hires guys has previous head coaching experience because of how difficult this job appears to be in the initial stages could have a lot of players transferring out. Um, you know, I think there has to be some philosophical shifts uh, going forward from what they had been to what they need to be. Uh, it, it, there, there have been some challenges, as you guys know, in the transfer portal era of, uh, of getting transfers into Northwestern. Those are questions that candidates are going to be a- uh, asking, but it's still a big 10 job. It's a place that won very consistently from you know 2007 2008 all the way through 2020 uh and i think with the right coach and the right um philosophy uh can have success again so who are the candidates i I think again head coaching experience is really important certainly a guy like sean lewis makes sense to me as does uh, a guy a very different type of coach but um one who's had a lot of success everywhere he's been at some really tough jobs and that's willie fritz Mm -hmm. down at tulane you know, they, they won the Cotton Bowl last year. They won the American Athletic Conference or a top 25 team. You know, Willie's 63 years old, but really comes off that you're younger than his age. And I think would look at this as, as maybe a last stop to, to, to turn around one more program uh, before he calls it quits. And so I think he's someone Northwestern should pursue. I think there's a couple of ACC coaches uh, at, at, at academically oriented schools that are interesting as well. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. Mike Elko, who just had the big win for Duke on Monday night over Clemson. Both of those guys absolutely should be on the list, as should others um, that maybe I'm not mentioning. But I, I really think that Northwestern should find someone who has led programs before and also understands the transfer portal environment. By the way, even though uh, Fritz is uh, 63, that's that's really that's young, Adam. So let's not, it let's is not young, Dave. yeah, let's not push him to the end of his career. <laughs> and and one other thing too that's whoever comes in not going to be guaranteed well they they don't know where they're going to be playing their home games for 2 years now whether it's next year or the year after um you know that's another question that is going to be looming for whoever takes that job but that can also be an attraction for a coach to say hey you're going to be coaching in a new stadium in a couple of years so weather the storm for now so a lot of a lot of moving parts on this one 
Um, it, it, really, it really is. And, I mean, Dave, you remember this just like I do. The, I, I keep coming back to this. The offensive pivot that North, Northwestern made after the 99 season under Randy Walker with Kevin Wilson, they need that again. I, I'm more convinced of that than ever because of the roster situation and just the overall situation with the program. You've got to bring in somebody who's going to do something different schematically because the way it is right now and the way it's been going at that program just isn't working. And I don't see that turning around anytime soon. Well, they revolutionized college football in 2000 uh, with that offense and won a share of the Big Ten championship. So, uh, Adam, always great talking to you. Get some rest. Where are you heading this week? I'm going to be out in Ames for the uh, for the Cyhawk game, uh, which should be uh, it's my yeah. third time covering that game in that stadium. So interested to see uh, those two teams and. Um, yeah, a little, little easier travel, though. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the Des Moines flight should, shouldn't be too hard. That may be famous last word. Yeah, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch up with you again in a, a few weeks if we can, okay? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right, you. Thanks. Thanks. That's Adam Rittenberg, senior college football writer for ESPN. And interesting stuff there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many factors that go into something like this. And... Northwestern had so much success for so long that, which which I know to old timers who remember when it wasn't that way may seem like kind of a crazy statement, but um, you look at the success they've had and the ability to win. And people said it's it's a place you can't win consistently, and they they were able to do it. And so now they got to find somebody who believes they can they can win consistently again. And by the way, I think. People have to tip their cap a little bit to to what David Braun has done, not only going into a very difficult situation, but also keeping most of this team intact uh, after the players had the ability to go into the portal. I saw Jeremiah Lewis transfer back to Duke, and he played the other night. He was the only one among the the projected first and second teamers, I believe, who, who left the program. They had some freshmen leave. Obviously, some recruits decommitted. But under the circumstances, that's a, a heck of a re-recruiting job that the staff did. I think Adam makes a really good point. Um, just on the change in philosophy, and I, I felt it too as a fan, you watch you know, other, other programs and their high-flying offenses, and, and it just felt like Northwestern pulled back a little bit and became more defensive-minded, which it worked out. But the mm-hmm. margin of error got so slim um, you know, you were always, there were always one possession games, and a lot of times they worked out because they have tough kids and, and play really tough. But you know, one bounce of a ball, and you're quickly three and nine and one and eleven, right? So I think we got to get away from that a little bit and inject some excitement back in the program. And and obviously, I I am biased, but I think that a lot of that comes from the offensive play. Um, and let's face it, Northwestern is going to struggle from an attendance standpoint probably for this year and a couple the the future years, depending on where they're playing you got to put a good product on the field, especially mm-hmm. on, on offense. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, things have changed in college football, Dan, since your <laughs> illustrious career. And I've got to think as somebody who played now, what, uh, 13, 12 or 13 years ago, you're looking at not, to, not the transfer portal necessarily. That's certainly a big part of it, but also NIL. And you see the impact that this is having. And then – you also have the expansion, the realignment, the uh, not expansion, but, but realignment of the conferences. You see the Big Ten going to an 18-team conference 
next year. And the added travel, certainly, that's going to enter into it. You see the dissolution of the Pac-12. You see the enlargement of the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC and now the ACC bringing in Stanford and Cal and SMU. It's, it's just like somebody tore up what we always thought college football was and just said, we're going to try something different now. We're going to do it this way. It's it's been interesting to watch. I, I hate to use the word sad because it makes me seem like a, an old guy complaining um, on his front porch. But okay, it, I'll do it. <laughs> right. But no, for as you know, for forever, college football has been a, a very regional sport, and you know, it's, it's national at, at some points when you get into the playoff and the, and the BCS and, and whatnot. But there was always a regional aspect to it that that kept it re- really fun. Um, and now it's just not anymore. It's mostly with NIL, but the the portal has really been an issue in my mind because at least in the NFL you have contracts. You know, there's there's trades, there's there's different things of that nature. Having kids be on one year deals, be able to, to. I saw the quarterback now at Rice. He started at USC, went to West Virginia or went to Georgia, West Virginia, now Rice in in five years. So it's like, is is that what really what we're trying to get out of college football? So. Um, it's it's interesting, but I I think if you're Northwestern, you just got to focus on the main thing, which is building culture, building you know great teams, and and all that other stuff doesn't really matter, right? The NIL money, whether it's from internal boot not not boosters, but from collectives or or other organizations, will come if you play well, and mm-hmm. and you know the travels the travel, right? You, you're gonna have to fly to, to California to play. It's not the end of the world, um, but I think. The more you, you kind of get the deer in the headlights look and focus on all that stuff, it, it blinds you. You just got to bring it back a little bit and focus on, on the main thing, which is building out the core and the team and, and just getting back on the right track. Well, let's lighten the, the message a, a little <laughs> bit because we do have games this week. In week two in college football, Northwestern playing UTEP this week. Uh, of course, the, uh, the big game nationally is going to be Texas and Alabama, the rematch of the game the tied one last year on a late field goal to win by one point down in Austin. You've got Nebraska, Colorado this week, which certainly has a lot of people excited. So we have to bring in Super Joe. Now, Super Joe is always our ace prognosticator, and so we would not want to do an edition of Collegiately Speaking without Super Joe's predictions prediction to say or estimate a specified thing will happen in the future super joe's predictions thank you dave and dan and a happy football season to you many eyeballs will be headed to colorado where coach prime has taken over the college football world a lot of eyeballs also will be in lawrence kansas for the bill self bowl illinois and the Jayhawks on Friday night, but I am going out east to Raleigh, North Carolina, where the NC State Wolfpack will play host to the number 10 ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish. This is actually Sam Hartman's third time going to Raleigh. Uh, he's 0-2 in the previous contests, but I have him winning this game and covering the 7.5 point spread. Notre Dame opened as an 8 point favorite, so the, the line is actually coming down in our favor. Uh, I, I like... Hartman as a uh, senior with a little more talent around him. Oftentimes uh, you get worried about a first road game, but Notre Dame, like Northwestern last year, already played overseas in Ireland. And uh, the look-ahead spot of Ohio State is actually two weeks away, not one. So I doubt that they are going to overlook NC State. I am a little nervous about the former NIU head coach, Dave Dorn, and his NC State Wolfpack, but uh, I do think Notre Dame handles 
business on the road. I will take the Irish and lay the seven and a half on the road. All right, Super Joe, nice job. And uh, we'll find out exactly how nice <laughs> next week when we do this again. Not a ton of great matchups this week. It's not unusual this time of year. I mean, you do have that Notre Dame-Ohio State in a couple of weeks, but uh, this week, best games, mentioned Alabama and Texas, uh, Nebraska-Colorado, just a lot of intrigue. We don't know if it's going to be that good a game or not. Iowa-Iowa State, it's always a great rivalry. I'm really interested to see Wisconsin at Washington State. I think that could be really a terrific game. Absolutely. It's still early, Dave. You know, got to got to get through the first couple of yep. weeks. Teams got to figure themselves out and, and the schedule has to figure itself out as well. But yeah, you just you just hope there's one or two each weekend. Well, I'm just glad we're back talking college football. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good relief. That's for sure. All right. So we'll do this again next week. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, good to have you back, Dan Perseth. Many thanks to uh, Ted Albrecht and also Adam Rittenberg. Jack Heinrich, our ace producer now, and, of course, Super Joe with his predictions. And, of course, we will bring you Northwestern football on Saturday, part of a college football doubleheader on WGN Radio. We'll start at 2 o'clock from Ryan Field at Evanston, the Wildcats and the Miners of UTEP with the kickoff at 2.30. And then after our postgame show, we will take you to that Texas-Alabama game on WGN. So we certainly hope you'll tune in then. Now for... Former Wildcat quarterback Dan Purse, I'm Dave Ennett. Thanks for being with us. You've been listening to Collegiately Speaking from WGN Radio.